Hi, it's Tiffany from Talk Tea Speech. Welcome to the podcast. everybody welcome to the second episode of the talk tea podcast today i'm going to be talking about things that i experienced as a new slp in early intervention so some experiences from my clinical fellowship and that whole first year of being new um, on the scene (laughs) and it was pretty embarrassing if i'm recalling some of the stories so i'm excited to share it with you i guess um it's going to be a vulnerable episode (laughs) I think I mentioned this in the first episode, but in graduate school, I never had hands-on early intervention experience. So I did work with younger clients at a private practice, but as far as going into a family's home or going to daycare, that was all foreign to me. So I remember before my first session as a clinical fellow, I asked my supervisor, oh, okay, so I just go in and start and people just trust me to provide this therapy. And my supervisor was like, yeah, you're totally ready. You went to school, you have the knowledge, you know more than you think. But I really did not feel ready at all. And I think that I probably wasn't, you know, when you're first starting out, it's so new and you're just used to studying these things. And I mean, I know that there are a lot of grad school experiences and um, observations that you do that will help prepare you for it, but you're never truly, truly prepared until you're just thrown into it and you just have to do it over and over and over again. But what's the scary part of early intervention is that you have parents watching you for your sessions. So it's not like you're at a school maybe where the parents aren't just sitting there. You are able to kind of test out your therapy style, the way that you want to run your sessions without an audience. When you're in early interventions and you're in a family's home, there may be parents home, grandparents, babysitters. Um, whoever is free to be there to watch you. So it is a lot of pressure in the beginning. And even later on, I mean, it is a lot of pressure to have someone watching your every move, even if they're not, you know, even if they're not there to judge you, they're in to learn about different strategies for their child. But as a new clinician, a new SLP, it's very, very nerve wracking. You know, now on my Instagram, I talk a lot about gaining confidence as a new SLP, and that is not done overnight. Um, It comes with a lot of experience and especially the bad experiences because when you can overcome those experiences first, then you can tell yourself, okay, I've already been through that, so I know I can handle it if it comes back around again. So one of my first bad experiences in EI was when I had a child who would not stop tantruming every time I was there. And again, I was so new, so I didn't know how to handle a tantrum. I was trying to entertain this child, trying to bring out all the books and the toys, just anything that I could try to calm him down. But it was like, I guess, three to four sessions in a row where the whole session was just him being completely upset that I was even there. And one of the worst things about it was the mom told me that this didn't happen with his other therapist. So obviously that sent me down a spiral because I was like, okay, then that means it's me. If it's not happening with his other therapist, then he's tantruming just because it's me and I'm a terrible therapist. 
I also remember the mom telling me that the other therapist had the child in a high chair for the whole session. And now that I have more experience under my belt, I'm like, wait a minute, why was he in the high chair the whole time? Um, But that's another story for another day. But anyway, what ended up happening was my agency called me and they were like, "Uh, this family actually wants to switch speech therapists. So they don't want you anymore. Okay, I don't think they were that mean to say they don't want you anymore, but they did say that, oh, mom would like to switch therapists because she feels that he's not benefiting from your sessions since he is tantruming so much. And again, they mentioned that he wasn't doing this with his other therapist. So that, you know, kicked me in the stomach again. <laughs> Luckily, my early intervention agency has always been really understanding. They told me this stuff happens sometimes even if you have a really seasoned SLP who knows exactly what they're doing sometimes maybe a family just doesn't vibe that's like okay vibe is a word that I just (laughs) kept hearing from my younger Gen Z cousin so I'm sorry I just had to bring that back around Anyway, basically they were saying that sometimes people just may not always get along. But to me, that didn't feel like the case. I was like, I I felt like I was getting along with the family. It's just that this child was tantruming so much and I just really, I, I didn't have the experience to handle it because if I could go back, I would do more parent coaching. I would be way more confident about it and let them know tantrums happen. We're going to have good sessions and we're going to have bad sessions. But at that time, when the child was tantruming, I was just like, oh, I don't know, uh, let me let me bring out my books. Let me bring out my my bubbles or something. So when my agency was telling me they don't want you anymore, I was starting to get all choked up and they were like, please don't feel bad about this. It happens all the time. And I obviously didn't believe them, but it definitely does happen. And it could happen to me again because No matter how much experience you have, sometimes it is about whether you're getting along with the child and the family and the type of rapport that you've established. And sometimes that's not perfect. And that was a good learning experience for me because even though I went home and I cried and I was sad for a couple days about it and it took a hit on my ego, all of that, but I'm still here and I'm still learning as I go and we all really just have to give ourselves some grace. If I could go back and talk to my younger self, I would tell her that, okay, maybe you do need to go back to the drawing board and see why this child is tantruming so much every time you're there. Are you being too overwhelming? Is the environment too stimulating? Are the activities too challenging or not challenging enough, I would have liked to ask myself those questions instead of just going back in and trying the same things over and over again. Sometimes that does work and you're just trying to see what sticks, but I think it is important to step back, try to zoom out of the situation and think about why, you know, is there another underlying reason for the tantruming or is it just because the child is having a bad day as we all do sometimes? I'm really grateful that my early intervention agency was very understanding. They didn't blame me for it. And I think that's important when you, you know, if you are a new SLP, 
uh, or you're a student and you're looking for a clinical fellowship in early intervention, you want to make sure that this agency is going to support you and back you up. Even if the family has not so great things to say about you, as long as you are being ethical and responsible and you're doing what you need to do as a therapist, you want to make sure that your agency also believes in you and they won't fault you for that. Okay, so that was embarrassing story number one. And I guess it's not embarrassing anymore because that's just part of life. That was part of the whole experience and why I'm able to feel more confident now because I had a bad experience and now I know how to handle it better. But it was embarrassing when it happened because I don't know if it's an SLP trait, a me trait to want to be a perfectionist to not show the flaws and not show that you maybe don't know it all um, because obviously I don't. And back then it was embarrassing because this family actually called my agency to say that they wanted to switch speech therapists. So yeah. If you ever find yourself in a position like that, just know that you're not alone. It happens to all of us. And now that I've spoken to other therapists, they tell me it happens whether you've been in this for one year, for 20 years. Sometimes these things come up and it's totally normal. But like I said, I definitely would have liked to go back to the drawing board and just challenge myself about why those tantrums were happening. And so if you do find yourself in this position too many times, maybe it's time to go back and reevaluate. But other than that, it's totally fine. It happens. All right. Are you ready for embarrassing story number two? Actually, this one is not embarrassing. This one is more scary and nerve wracking and something that still makes me nervous to this day. And that is having to make a referral to a specialist that the family may not be expecting. I had a child that I was seeing, I think this was also part of my clinical fellowship. So within that first year of graduating and I referred him to a neurodevelopmental, a neurodevelopmental, wait, why can't I talk? A neurodevelopmental pediatrician. And the first time I brought this up to his mom, she started crying immediately and I felt terrible. And I was trying to explain to her the reasons why I was referring him to this pediatrician, the specialist, and she couldn't hear me. And I I understand that because it could be very scary for you to hear something about your child for the first time. And in early intervention, we are typically the first person to signal that something, you know, that the child may need extra services because they're so young in early intervention. So we're the person, we're the first person to flag something going on. So I apologized and I said, I'm so sorry that this was very upsetting to you. You know what? Why don't you take some time to think about it and text me, call me with any questions that you have. I will definitely address them and it's going to be okay. I mean, I'm just referring to this specialist just to rule out things, but I, you know, it's going to be okay. And I felt that I was coming from a very compassionate and empathetic standpoint. But by the time I went there for the next session, then she was angry. I did notice before I went to that next session that she didn't answer some of my texts, um, you know, confirming the session, but I didn't think anything of it. And when I went for the next time, I said, oh, did you 
think about what we spoke about last time. Are you going to maybe call the specialist and make an appointment because they have really long wait lists? And she she got very, very short with me. She just said, no, we're not going to do that. And there's really no need. I spoke to my friend. This is not something that we need to be doing. And there's just no point. Um, so I was really taken aback. And I said, Uh, okay, you know, that's your call completely. I just wanted you to have all of the information and I really think it would benefit him to get an evaluation. And she, I remember she was like blocking me from the doorway and she was saying, why? Why do you think that? How is that going to benefit him at all? And I felt very sweaty and panicky. It was such a different reaction from her because last week it was immediate crying and I was really trying to comfort her. And then this time the anger came out and I just froze and I was trying to explain this is what this specialist will look at and it's going to be very play-based. So the child won't even know it's an evaluation. He'll just feel like he's playing. We'll get some more answers and then we'll be able to better serve him. And But she wasn't hearing me. She was very, very upset already. And anything that I would have said in that moment just would have gone in one ear, out the other. So it's a long story, but what ended up happening was this family also had a second speech therapist because I had recommended um, an increase in speech, but I didn't have availability in my schedule to fulfill that. So they had another speech therapist and... I remember she told me through text, oh, I think we're just going to stick with this other therapist because her schedule works better with us. So I already knew she was very offended by me making a referral. And so they went on with this other therapist. And I think he was very close to aging out anyway. So we would have only had a few more sessions left. So that was the end of our interaction, which is so crazy, just from like having a good rapport. I liked this family a lot to immediate um, anger and being offended and that crazy drama, Um, which like if I look back now, being a new mom, yes, I would be definitely really, really nervous if someone said something that, you know, they might see or they might be concerned about something. Yes, I would be really nervous, but the angry reaction was just really unfortunate. So that's one thing to keep in mind, that even if you make a referral that you know is in the child's best interest, you can't control how parents or families may react because it could be really overwhelming for them and they don't know how to express themselves properly or they may not be able to hear you and you know, in with all of that sadness and emotion, it could be really tough. I want to say in between those sessions where I made the referral and then between that time and the angry session, I did reach out with text messages and um, just more information, which all went unanswered, which is fine. I just wanted them to have that information so that they can do with it what they wanted to. And, you know, fast forward with this family, I have a crazy second ending to this story. A few years later, I ended up working at a private practice for a little bit. And one day I saw on my schedule that this child was, I was like, why is this name so familiar? And it was this child whose mom was very angry. And so I 
emailed my boss and I said, this child I did see for early intervention and I think everything should be fine, but on the off chance that it's not, I wanted to tell you that, you know, I have seen him before and the family and I ended things on, I guess, just like not even bad terms because when we stopped talking, I remember it was very like, it was cordial. We didn't talk a lot, but it wasn't anything like hostile or anything like that. So anyway, I told my private practice boss, I've seen this kid before. I think everything should be fine, but just wanted to let you know. Well, sure enough, drama did happen in the waiting room. Luckily, luckily, I was not there that night when this drama went down, but the mom had asked, okay, who is going to be his speech therapist in the future? Because I think they were switching from another therapist in office. Um, So they said my name and she said, oh my gosh, this will not work. My child and this therapist just did not get along. That just was not a good fit. Um, And she was going off in the waiting room where there were a few other parents in there. So she was saying all those things like, um, I didn't get along with her child, which is really crazy because I remember my first few sessions with him. This child was very, um, just like eager to learn, eager to play. And I recall her saying, oh my gosh, he never opens up to people like this and he feels really comfortable with you. So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes when you, when parents are feeling very, very defensive over their child and you made a referral that they don't agree with, that anger comes back around and it's not necessarily you, but it's more of a defense mechanism from the parent. So even though I feel in my heart that I did what I could for this child and I felt that I was being very um, compassionate and patient, it didn't work for this family and that's where we go back to that word of not vibing with certain people. (laughs) So my boss at the private practice ended up calling me. She told me what happened and what was said. And I explained my side of the story and how I saw things. And she was extremely understanding, my boss. So again, um, having supportive bosses who believe you, who will back you up 100% is just so important and it makes for a much more comfortable work environment. My boss had actually called that parent to let her know that that's not okay to be doing that in front of other parents in the waiting room. And she did explain, you know, at the time, Tiffany was a new therapist. And if you saw her now, things may be different. I mean, I do look back at that time and I don't know what I, I don't think that I really would have changed anything because I still would have wanted to make that referral. And yes, I was new. So I'm wondering if maybe the words that I chose were not the best or, you know, but sometimes I don't think that it's necessarily you, the therapist, the new therapist who's making a complete mistake. Sometimes it's how people react to what you're saying and that's out of your control. So My embarrassing story, number one, I will definitely take accountability for that because that with the tantrum, with the child tantruming, I feel like that could have been something that I could have intercepted with more research and just trying out more different things. This 
second story though where this parent was extremely angry for me and held on to that for a couple of years I don't even fault my younger self because I feel like that was out of my control I made the referral that I felt was appropriate at the time and it's better to make a referral and have a parent get upset but still have them be aware of it than to not say anything at all just so you can stay in their good graces and I'm not saying to ever say anything in an aggressive way um, and definitely have that compassion and understanding that you are talking to a parent so they could be very nervous about what you're saying about their child. Um, Man, now I feel like I've been going in circles. I don't even know where I was going with this. But I think um, knowing that sometimes, yes, take accountability for it and do that extra research and go the extra mile to figure it out. But sometimes things are out of your control and it's okay. You know, we're not always going to have all of the answers and be able to, um, you know, do everything so perfectly. But I think as long as you, again, are being ethical, you're trying, you're doing the research, then it's all good. So there you have it. Those are the two stories that really stick out when I think about those difficult early days of being a new SLP in early intervention. And there are more, so I'm sure there will be more um, episodes of me sharing some difficult times, but those were the two main ones that stick out. So we're going to wrap that up. Thank you so much for listening again. And I hope that if you like this, you'll consider leaving a five-star review. That really helps kind of get the podcast off the ground. And I really, really appreciate you for listening and being here. As always, you can follow me on my Instagram at TalkTSpeech. And you can also find me um, at my website, TalkTSpeech.com. Thank you so much. I'll see you on the next one. (laughs) 